Welcome to Self-Discovery Radio, where the discovery of self is just a show away. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Choose Positive Living with me, your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today, Anne Betts. We're going to be talking about your mind, neurosciences. You know, our mind does a really wonderful thing. It's kind of extremely complex, but when we choose to look at things more simply and live life more simply, our mind doesn't get kind of overworked and overstressed. Did you know that it actually takes eight positives to undo one negative? Now, I think that's a great practice when you're trying to reprogram that mind from negativity to positivity. We're going to be talking about um, Anne's seven steps to seven levels of personal group and organizational effectiveness because there's a lot to our minds that we need to reprogram. We are a condition very, very much of what we have been taught in our past, that cellular memory. And you may go through various programs that kind of reprogram the top layers and then all of a sudden something revisits you from your past because it's deep in that cellular tissue. And those are memories that kind of really dictate your response to life those triggers and it could be to do with anything anything that you look at life your low self-esteem your body issues uh, blockages in your work everything that you approach in life very often one part of our brain goes what the hell is in your way get on and do it you know that you can and the other part of you goes bat 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 and that goes back to a past memory that says you you can't you aren't you're not worthy so how do we undo all of that what are the steps we take to be above and know who we are? Welcome to the show, Anne. Thanks, Sarah. What a great what a great way of framing it up. I'm just I'm just finding myself fascinated, and especially as you're talking about cellular memory, and makes me think of um, also just the um, tribal memory that we're part of, and cultural memory that we're part of. That really all plays a role in terms of how we manifest in in this lifetime and and as the minds that we are exactly and you know very much of our memory is kind of passed down genetically too isn't it you know traditional memory yeah. absolutely that's been a that's been some new learning and really exciting interesting stuff that that it's not just that we learn from our parents in terms of you know what they call nurture versus nature but that things get passed down through our DNA, through what they talk, call a gene expression. So it's not at the, you know, it's not the most basic part of our DNA, the part that doesn't change, but it's the way that DNA has gotten expressed. So for example, if you were raised uh, during a terrible famine, if there's a terrible famine in your part of the world, you may not be as tall or you, you may have some health problems this may not be fundamental to your DNA but it's how that got expressed because food was limited well what they know now is that those results the negative health outcomes get passed down for three or four generations before wow. it kind of the DNA then reverts and you know we're talking about the mind and spirituality well they've also found the same thing in terms of emotions so not just whether you're going to be tall or not, but if your culture is a culture of fear or guilt or shame, that passes down not just through what you are taught, but also within your gene expression. Isn't that weird and fascinating? And I don't know if it's disturbing or freeing. I think it's freeing because, you know, I'm, I'm um, you know, from the, the war generation. I was a child born after the war. So I was born with my, my parents' fears, my parents' traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mum with food would never have food left over because in case it went stale, it went off. Always the larder had to be completely full, otherwise you'd feel panicked. Um, always made too much food, um, you know, because you don't know when you can eat again. Um, mm-hmm. and, a, and yeah. a, a great deal of her own self-esteem because of course she was brought up she was born in 1920 so she was brought up where children should be seen and not heard she got beaten for asking for a hug from her mother you know mm. and all of those things integrately in her DNA that you know unwillingly and, and certainly not purposefully got passed on to us and then you know it says that you're becoming like your mother <laughs> <laughs> yes 
Well, and, and we and find I think we it, all. <laughs> of course, and it, you know, it's like we just really come by it honestly. And the thing about this, this whole DNA is, well, you think about if you're raised by the person who gave birth to you, then you generally, unless they've done a lot of work on themselves, you know, you're going to be getting it a double whammy because you're going to get it in your DNA, but you're also going to get it in your learned behavior. Yeah. So for me, this is one of the reasons why it is so crucial that we do our work because we're doing it for generations to come. If I can heal it here and then I'm not teaching it and um, it's not getting passed on in this quite the same way for generations to come. A hundred percent agree with that. And, you know, um, my working on myself came later in my life, late 40s, early 50s. And it was, um, I mean, I'm a spiritual counselor. I was so busy working on other people, you know, that you forgot to work on yourself, right, which is typical, right? right? And, uh, but, you know, I think the big word, especially for my generation, and I think we're looking at 50 up, <clears throat> is the permission. The permission to place that value upon yourself. The permission to find love of yourself. The permission to to invest in yourself because mm. our generations before were all about kind of sacrificial and servitude you know not being of service yeah. but, you know so i think it's it's a kind of a an awareness that yes we have permission to do that now we've actually got to do the process of working through it yeah and i think what i what i love about this information potentially is that it can even elevate it that that i really love what you're saying about permission it's this feeling that as long as you're doing for others not working on yourself that's a good person is maybe to flip that reframe it a bit and saying well our responsibility is not just to give 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 to others mm-hmm. our responsibility is to do our own work as well because we are otherwise going to pass this on our own fear, our own guilt, our own shame. And the world needs to move beyond that into what we really can be as human beings. Exactly. I would say place you know, ownership on yourself, you know, be responsible for your mm. own choices and actions. And we can't be responsible for our, uh, our own choices and actions until we actually understand where they're coming from. You know, mm. is it an environmental mm-hmm. learning, upbringing learning? Is it a, a DNA learning? And... <laughs> We really have to spend that time in investing in ourselves and, and dividing what those layers are. Nope, this, was, this came from mom or dad, and this has actually been my choice. And we've really got to spend the time, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely, and, and find a way. And I like what you're saying about, um, it's, it's, a, cause it's a big belief of mine, which is so aligned here, Sarah, that, um, so what I love about the seven levels of effectiveness that you talked about, our model of consciousness, is that it gives people a roadmap. It gives people a way to look and see, okay, well, where am I? Or where is this group? And where do I want to go? Because if I don't know where I am and I don't know where it's possible to go, then I'm just sort of... I'm just sort of either hoping for the best or um, resigned to the worst. Let us go through them because um, I think it's you know a good good um, avenue to take. You, you've got number one of hopelessness, and I don't think yes. I don't think there's <laughs> anybody on this planet that hasn't felt hopelessness, and and that hopelessness is more of a feeling of you just don't have the knowledge to know what to do, right? Yeah, and it's and these are really we call them the seven levels of effectiveness because it's a very it's a word that doesn't trigger anybody, but the truth is they are levels of consciousness, they're levels of energy and their levels of vibration. So hopelessness is this place of nothing, we say it's uh, the inability to see, let me see if I've got my actual definition here, I use them so much, but I should use a technical definition, the, the fundamental inability to see or work toward a positive future. So it's, it's not even that I can see a possibility, I can't even see it. Mm-hmm. So it's everything being so dark. And I love that you said, I don't think there's a human being in the world who hasn't felt that way. So these are this really fundamental to being human. Yes, we have all felt this way. It's part of what gives us empathy. We've all been here at times, maybe just for a moment. Um, some people get stuck here for a while, and some people are born into this. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it's hard to shift from, isn't it? Because, of course, your next one is fear. 
you yeah. know? And yeah. I think, you know, most of the time people are so afraid to move forward. They're crippled by the fear. And half the time they don't know what they're afraid of. Right. Well, it's, an, you know, some people say fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Yeah, yeah, I that. like that. <laughs> and, and I think from a brain standpoint, point because I bring, you know, I'm a, I'm a sort of an interesting hybrid of, I like to tell people the best way to know me is that Albert Einstein is one of my spirit guides. So I'm the sort of person who would have a spirit guide and know who they are, but it would be Albert Einstein. So that's the, that's the, <laughs> so we're expecting a little insectricity from you, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and you know that I love, I love, I love the mystery and yeah. I respect the mystery deeply and I'm fascinated by what we can know and prove scientifically. So there's, you know, in thinking about fear and thinking about false evidence appearing real, these are all states of being that are important to human beings. I don't reject them. There, was a, there are times in our life where there are things we should be afraid of, yeah. and it is absolutely appropriate that our brains respond with a fear reaction because it keeps us safe. And even hopelessness. There are things that it's time to just give up on. There are times where any more effort on our part is just kind of pointless. It's a time for redirect. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Knowing when to give up, knowing when to call it. You know, So I don't hold these as like hopelessness is bad and you know synchronicity at the top and we'll talk about that in a minute is good i hold them as this is just what it is to be human each of these serve but if we get stuck there we are taking energy from life we are probably damaging our own health and other people's if we're stuck in these below the line states which would be hopelessness fear and then frustration and fear we just define as the belief that one must protect against almost certain loss, attack, or disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And I find, as I said, people become very crippled in that because it's such a, mm. a, an embracing emotion. And it requires yeah. so much energy to live in fear. And they don't realize it that really if, they, does. if they didn't, if they, you know, learn, I mean, I've been in there too, you know, when you, when you divert that energy into possibilities, um, not even positivity, but just possibilities. Um, you know, it starts shifting that fear into to a different energy. But I think fear have, itself yeah. is a very crippling energy. It is. And what happens biochemically is that you're running with a lot of adrenaline in your system and a lot of cortisol in your system. And so what is happening is that you're damaging, you know, adrenaline and adrenaline is designed to help make us sharper and faster and you need it if there's something really scary. Cortisol, one of the things that it does is it shuts down kind of long-term functioning like your immune system and the, the, the design is so that more, you can have more access to the energy you need like in the moment to run away from a, you know, saber-toothed tiger. But when you're running that through your body all the time because you're just living in a state of anxiety and fear, this is why you have the negative health outcomes and you have mm. heart disease and cancer. I'm not saying it's the only reason and I'm not blaming anyone, right. but I'm saying there's a correlation here because of the chemicals that are running through your body. So you're right. It's exhausting and exhausting to be around. Yes. I mean, when you say you know, people are paralyzed in fear, I mean, they truly are, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They can be if it's really, you know, in the below the line states of frustration, fear and hopelessness, you really are kicking up a lot of the fight, flight and freeze response. And if it's a really <laughs> terrifying thing, you can become paralyzed and really, yeah. you know, the chemical state has just got you shut down and you don't know what to do. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at some people when, you know, something fearful happens, you know, like suddenly a woman can lift a car off a child, you know, that adrenaline. <laughs> right. And then you've got other people that see the car coming flying at them. And instead of getting out of the way, they're paralyzed in that fear. And uh, Well, you know, that happened to me, Sarah. I was, I was trying to park and this car was backing up and I was beeping my horn and he couldn't, he turned out later, he couldn't hear me. And I could have moved my car, but in that moment, I was just, I was so aghast that this guy was going to back up right into me that I literally, it's like, I couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And people often will give themselves a hard time for that, but you just need to know it's just the kept for whatever reason in that moment, my brain was overwhelmed with chemicals that made it impossible to know what to do. 
So that can happen. And, and I think this is why what I want for people in understanding the seven levels is understand where they are, start noticing it, know that they may not be in an effective place, and then how do I shift to a place that's actually going to give me more you know, room to move and more choice. So let's talk about frustration, because again, who hasn't been there? (laughs) I mean, I often visit it. (laughs) Yes, Yes, I'm a frequent flyer (laughs) in the the realm of frustration. And our definition is the focus on fighting and jockeying for position against, not with, others, and the feeling that the external world, both people and circumstances, must be resisted. So there's this resistance energy here, this, these like, um, it's not okay, I need, to, um, I need to push back, I need to be, uh, you know, against it. Yeah, and you've also got the frustration where, well, why can't you see it? Why don't you understand mm-hmm. it? Why aren't you doing this? And of course, that comes from, you know, totally different um, perceptions. And that, you know, just because you can see it doesn't mean somebody else can, because they're not looking at it from your view. They're looking at it yeah, from a different I, angle. Absolutely. And I think one of the problems when we get more locked into frustration, I know when I'm in frustration and I can't just see, oh, this is a temporary place, you know, hold on a minute, I need to shift out of it when I'm locked in there. I can't even begin to imagine that your pers- perspective has any validity at all. Yeah. I can only see things from mine, which is why we say it's such an ineffective state. So for me, one of the keys here, if you're working with someone who's really frustrated, it's not to engage at the same level because then it's just a battle and the stronger one will win. It's a good time to take a breath, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And understand that the, the dynamic field needs to shift. The level of effectiveness needs to shift before anything productive can happen. And I'll sometimes people will say to me, you know, here's this, this person was so mad at me and I was explaining to them so rationally about why they were wrong and it was just like they couldn't hear me. Mm-hmm. What's that about? And I said, well, they couldn't hear you. Exactly. <laughs> I can't. The chemicals that are going through, again, you have other, you have um, adrenaline and cortisol. You also more in the field of frustration, I really think, than in the other fields, you get a little dopamine. And dopamine is a, is a it's like a positive chemical. It's a lot of, um, it's what get, the dopamine cycle gets kicked off in a lot of drug addiction. Sugar gives us dopamine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, a lot of addic- addictive things, that's what we're doing is we're trying to get a dopamine hit. Well, when I feel like I'm right and you're wrong and I, I've kind of won, One of the reasons why this becomes a very uh, um, addictive, I would say it's an addictive level, and some people never leave here, is that if I feel better than you, like my status is higher, I'm going to get some dopamine. Now, what I'm going to do is have to keep trying to control the circumstances around me so that I continue to get that dopamine because it's an addiction. Right. And let's just talk about addiction for a moment because... As you said, there are some people never leave that level. And, you know, maybe it's that, you know, dopamine fix that they need. But it's also very often just that need to be right. You know, whether they're wrong or they're right or even they admit they're wrong, they're still right. And it's, um, I think a lot of that kind of comes from their own self, their insecurity um, and their unwillingness to kind of understand a different perspective. Um, but a lot of it come, just comes from is that the fear of being wrong because of being judged. I think you're really right. And I know that my um, psychologist <laughs> friends have taught me that anger, and that's what we're talking about, sort of the general field of anger here, is, a, is generally a secondary emotion. So it's not the presenting emotion. The presenting emotion is most likely going to be either something around hopelessness like I'm out of control, I can't control this at all, it's beyond me, or fear. But what some people do, rather than deal with that, is they just it just pushes them into anger. So it's covering up a more, probably a much more basic emotion. Yeah. So that can, can be a really interesting thing as well. If you are prone to a lot of anger, and frustration is to, if you've got the courage or with a supportive person, spiritual teacher, coach, or therapist, to look to see, could it be that there's something else underneath this? 
And the reason you're not moving past your anger is you haven't actually dealt with your fear or your hopelessness. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's not a good point to address the anger as a point to address the trigger of the anger. Well, you know, there are, there are occasions, let me talk about the exception. This all gets very subtle and, you know, interesting to me at least. Um, for the most part, yes. I think people who sort of have this habit of anger, I think oftentimes it's just on top of something else and it feels like they've got a little more control in anger. There are things, though, that happen where anger is the appropriate response. And um, so such as if someone has actually betrayed you, mm-hmm. then I think you get a more clean anger, like, oh, you know, that's not right. Um, I remember one of my teachers saying at one point that if you, you promise to a little kid, like you imagine a three-year-old, and you say, if you're quiet for one minute, I'll give you a candy. And, you know, everybody watches the clock, little kid is quiet for a minute, and then you say, oh, you know what, I don't think I'm going to give you the candy. They'll get mad. Yes. They'll get, you know, as they should. You promised. You broke a promise here. Yes. You promised. <clears throat> so there's an anger that's a little different That is that has some cleanness to it, which is about it, like injustice and betrayal. And I think the trick with, with that kind of, you know, sort of righteous anger is you've got to move it above the line. It's, it, you can actually even more easily move that above the line to motivate positive action. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I think, you know, again, everybody has been there at some point, and it's, you know, it's when we learn what that trigger is and when we learn how to handle it, you know, then uh, we get on top of it, and then we find that wonderful word, courage. Yes, that's our first above-the-line level, the level of courage and <laughs> And it's the, it's for me, it's the place where things start looking possible. It's not everything, but we define it as the willingness to take a stand against previously held negative or disempowering beliefs and actions, trusting in the possibility of a positive future, often despite current evidence that a positive future is not likely or predictable. So what I mean by that is that this often courage comes out of that rock bottom place. Not always, but we don't have courage when we know everything is going to work out. We have courage when we think it very well may not, but we need to do something anyway. Yeah. And actually, you know, this is the premises of this radio station is that, you know, interview people who've embraced that word courage, um, you know, have let go of the hopelessness, the fear and the frustration and willing to take the journey. And then from it, all the other things, wonderful things happen. But it is like, you know, I celebrate people who embrace that courage because they've been willing to let go and understand that it's not just letting go and it's gone, you know, that it's still a work in process. Um, But that courage to choose to see something positive and something wonderful coming out of it as opposed to the why me and stuck in the the drama and the drama of um of the past yeah absolutely and you know my, one of the things i hold so we this is a model that my business partner and i the above leadership that we've been working with for about 13 years and um, you know, and we've just taught hundreds, if not thousands of people this model and worked with it individually with many. One of the things I've learned, Sarah, is every human being is capable of courage. Yeah. Every single one. I've never had it disappoint me. Mm-hmm. Um, they, so, you know, some people can just step right into it and go. Others, you know, they can dip their toe in and then they need a lot of support to stay there. They need to, you know, surround themselves with people who celebrate this courage rather than the people who are going to try to pull them back into, you know, frustration or fear or hopelessness. Exactly. And that, you know, once they've discovered their courage, you know, then they start to be able to see the possibilities and the opportunities mm-hmm. of those possibilities. And then it's like that one step in front of the other. And as you said, for some, it's like they're in courage and they feel free and they can leap and bound. And others, it's like, this is a new feeling. I've got to be in it for a while before I can trust it. And see right, and in me. fact, you know, the way we look at it is courage is the line, you know, it's the line everybody has to step over to be above the line, mm-hmm. and that's why our company is called Be Above, right. and it's, it's not a very stable energy state, usually. So if someone's just only got the vibration of courage, it's unstable, 
it can very easily and with, you know, a little bit of bad result, it can go back down to frustration. So, you know, I'm a personal coach and, and spiritual guide. And so this is a place that if someone's stepping into courage in some area of their life or maybe everywhere, I know I've got to, I've got to hang kind of close. Um, it, which is different than if they're in higher levels with more resonance and more vibration mm-hmm. where they don't, they don't need somebody hanging on. They're ready to go. And I think that's what you mean in terms of the, yes. some people kind of just pass through to the higher states. Others are here working it and working to become stable here and not go back down below the line, which can be, you know, so um, often the culture that they're in. Yes, very that much so. pulls them back. Yeah. yeah. And also the oh. color that you've chosen for that is green, which is, of course, healing. And it is the yeah. healing mode, I think. You know, I used to um, have a, an analogy of a 12-inch ruler. And you've got this 6 to 12, which are the different degrees of positivity and higher vibrations that people live in. And uh, you have the 4 to 6, which are the people encourage the awakening of their spirit and their soul and believing in a better life and a better future for themselves, believing in themselves. But Mm -hmm. then you have that one to three, which are called, you know, hopelessness, fear and frustration. I call them crisis junkies because (laughs) because they love living in that state. But but it requires so much energy to be in there. They go after the people in that four and five the yeah. courage zone because they're they're newly energized and they come and but they're still vulnerable and they come in and they suck the yeah. life out of them they can't suck the life out of the people above that because they've already raised their vibration higher so you oh know, i love that oh i think that's just great sarah that's the, when we talk about the energy vampires yes. they're only targeting that little middle spot yes. because other those other you know others of us hopefully i'm above that I think I am. Um, I've learned how to put boundaries up. Yes. I've learned not to, like, I don't go there. I'm not interested in that. They don't get to come in. Right, precisely. But those, they're very vulnerable at that stage. And this is a stage where everybody needs to nurture and respect, um, you know, th- that transition. And as you said, for some, it's, it's a quick leap and bound and they adjust quickly. For some, it depends on the crisis they've been through. You know, um, because very often that courage is triggered by, you know, an event or something happening in their lives. For some people, it's spiritual awakening. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it could be a kiss on the brow when you redirect, and a lot of people get the hatchet in the head. (laughs) They do. And, you know, they've got to get over that trauma of that first before they can move on. And they're very, very vulnerable to the, and this is why I will say to people, remove yourself from everybody. And, yeah. and choose a, a, a different people to be around you that are nurturing and encouraging. Absolutely. There's one of my favorite quotes, as you know, the spiritual uh, teacher, Carolyn Mace, and she says, we evolve at the rate of the tribe we're plugged into. Yes. And I often find, um, as I, I teach beginning coaches is one of the things that I do in my portfolio, and, and people will get sort of halfway through the program, and they'll often share with me, with great distress, you know what? I don't like my old friends anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, are they really your friends? You know, or do you, are you just going on that there's a story about it, but are they really able to engage with you where you are now? And what if you, what if you looked for a different tribe? And it can be really painful for people to have to face, you know, the people that I've always hung out with actually are bringing me down. Yes. And, you know, we choose to be amongst people that are on the same wavelength. And the more you raise your vibration, your wavelength, the more it feeds you. And if you're around people that are still in that negative vibration, you realize they're pulling you down. And that could be family members, which, of course, is the hardest to walk away from. So I think what you have to do with, with family is, you know, just say to them, you know, I'm I'm on a journey. I respect that you love me, but we may not see things the same way. Uh, mm. Respect my journey. And, you know, sometimes you have to walk away from them and then come back and yeah. visit them when you're wholer. And when you're less vulnerable, yeah, less vulnerable to being pulled back. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And then, then uh, you know, you, again, they may not be at your same level, but you're coming back more confident in a higher vibration that they will if they don't understand, at least accept who you are because you've set those boundaries of what you will accept. Yeah, and you know, I often, um, I was talking with a client about this today, and this has been my own experience. I call family and on the spiritual journey that there's sometimes the heavy weight in the mm-hmm. gym. 
and I remember, you know, while I was <clears throat> really uh, consciously, early days consciously of my spiritual journey, which was while I was going through coach training was when it really kind of went on fire for me. Um, and I remember the time that I told my mother she was being a drama queen. <laughs> Which she was. She you was had such, one oh too, my huh? God. She was always <laughs> complaining about everybody and yeah. bitching with, oh God, she just lived in the field of frustration, which is where I learned it. Yes. Um, so, and yeah. I remember she was com- just complete. You, you had the same mom. We had this, oh, yeah. this, this, my mother was a dramatic this, actress and never got off the stage. <laughs> oh my God. Well, so I remember my mom was complaining about this guy that hadn't paid her and she was going on and on and on. And I, you know, and I, I finally told talked straight to her. I said, look, you're going to keep complaining. You're going to do something about it. And I remember shaking in my boots when I said that to her, literally trembling because I'd never been like honest and direct with Mm -hmm. my mom, but I couldn't take it anymore. And being able to be like that with her and you know what? She lit. I couldn't believe it. She was like, "Yeah, you know what? You're probably right." I just about fell over. <laughs> I was driving in the car, I almost had a wreck. Like this fear my whole life that I couldn't say anything to my mother, and then I did. And she was like, "Yeah, good point." <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Talk about false evidence appearing real. But here's the thing I want to say: is that out of doing that, man, I tell you, that's my worst fear. And I could, I got so able to face anyone yes. out of being able to face my mom. And, you know, I've, I've got a similar story. You know, my mom was more spiritual than the rest of my family. Um, and so she embraced that spirituality of me because I was born that way. And hard mm. time being a human. I just completely lived in the <laughs> cosmos. Um, and But she was also that, you know, that drama queen. And I think a great deal of her drama, living in that, that fear and that frustration, was most certainly you know, conditioned in her for living through a war, um, you know, being brought yeah. up by the parents. You know, it was, it was completely to do with the integration of her past. And that had she been, you know, even born now, I think she would have been a completely spiritual being. Uh, mm. Because it was there, it was just always that permission to be. Um, and, you know, she died at 95. And she said, I, am, I may not completely understand what you're doing, but I celebrate and, and, and admire what you're doing. My brother and sister don't understand what I'm doing. My sister is completely clueless. Um, but at the same time, is I'm proud of you. And it's not the understanding of what I'm doing. It's I think the pride is in my pride of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right? In it reflect, yeah, that vibration it is back. reflecting yeah. back. So you don't yep. have to always wait for someone to approve of what you're doing or understand of what you're doing. But when you stand tall in who you are and what you're doing, what your purpose is in life, they respect that even if they don't truly comprehend it. Yeah, I really agree. And I really, you know, my part of my belief and my cosmology is that the universe sends these people to push back at, on me until I really take a stand and you know, and I've been blessed with some angels who, you know, were not easy, who really, uh, you know, my ex-husband was a lawyer and everything was completely rational. And this was a time before I really had brought the science in, but I knew that what I was doing and I knew that the spiritual path and I knew the path of forgiveness and gratitude was the way. And he thought it was the fluffiest nonsense he'd yeah. ever heard <laughs> and made it clearer to me as much as possible. You know, me being a coach and all of that just wasn't as valuable as, you know, being a lawyer and doing all of this. And having to live in that and find my voice. And by the time that we divorced, it the whole thing had flipped. And what he had come to see was that he needed to come to my way of thinking only it just was too hard and too painful. But who I had to become out of pushing back and, and the, 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 the gift of that was extraordinary. I couldn't have done it unless he and, you know, and the, the, his lawyer friends had been, you know, really pretty critical of me. I'm not saying I wish that on anyone. I really don't. It wasn't always very fun. In fact, it wasn't fun at all. But However, but the, but my confidence... You, you, you know, the thing is, is that you're telling the story which most people go through in some way or other. You know, um, I had a spouse that apparently fell in love with me for my spirit. And then after that, tried to contain it, um, you know, uh, <laughs> box course. it and stop it. 
and uh, and change it and uh, you know then it became everything against my spirit <laughs> and well yeah, I love that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's that was, you know, that was, of course, the downfall. I love who you are, your free spirit, and then now I want to chain you um, and change you. And and it was not a respect for who I was, but that's what he fell in love with. So it was his contradiction then imposed upon me. You know, now I'm doing what I'm doing. It's uh, we're divorced, you know, we're past uh, 15 years now. Um, it's there's still not really a recognition of what I'm doing because I've gone so above where he was able to go. Again, right. it's rather like my family. There isn't that recognition of what I'm I'm doing because the trouble is with with a lot of people is that that validation of who you are and what you're doing has to be translated into a little piece of paper saying you've got a degree, <laughs> a diploma, and you know I always right. say I'm a spiritual counselor by God's design, and He doesn't an- hand out certificates. <laughs> you know? I know. I I remember at one point in my life, I gave myself a master's degree. I just I just gave myself an MC bravo, master of consciousness. <laughs> you know, and and I I'm I'm with you. I live outside the academy because I don't think they see the academy. The you know the governing. I have a bachelor's degree. That's all I care about. I don't even care about that. But I'm not interested in going any further because it's not what I want to study. It's not what I value. Yes. There's there's a way that I want to designate myself. Um, that you were saying something that made me think of the archetypal story. I think it's an archetypal story of the goose that laid the golden egg, and then the goose gets killed. And I think this happens in our relationships. We get attracted mm. to someone, this golden goose who's you know, showing us this thing that is not who we are. But then instead of honoring and figuring out how to help the goose you know, lay their beautiful golden eggs and making a beautiful nest, all too often what happens is the goose gets killed. And I see that in many, many relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's not forget that we're different people when we meet. You know, That's it's true. We, we, we're, yep. we're part of that old conditioning, right? You know, and, yeah. and, and those old conditions meet other dysfunctional conditions. And unless <laughs> you work through it together and realize it and grow and get to that place of courage together, you're most certainly going to be ripped apart. Absolutely. And I do see this a lot with people as well. It's very much true for me. My vibration was in a different state at the time that I met my ex-husband and it was more complimentary to his otherwise we never would have met each we never would have come together but then being on an intentional spiritual path and this is another thing I hear from a lot of my students that I mean even more painfully than losing friends or family it's oh my goodness my spouse and I are not connected mm-hmm. my belief about the levels of the levels of consciousness however you want to frame it I look at our model of seven levels is You've got to be within about one level of each other. Otherwise, it's, it's tension becomes painful. Yes. So, so if you've got a spouse in frustration, if you're encouraged, that'll be okay. But if you go to engagement, you are going to stop hearing each other. Absolutely. And if you go to engagement and the spouse is still in frustration and living there and finding lots of juice out of that place and lots of righteousness, etc., you're up in engagement, and that's the next one after courage, and this is just a, it's a fun place. It's the desire to bring value, to be a contributor, basic enjoyment of the enterprise, focusing on assets and strengths rather than li- limitations and detriments. So mm-hmm. this is where, this is like sort of courage is the beginning of the spiritual journey. Engagement is when you're really in it. You're participating in in your own life. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you've got a spouse or partner or, you know, best friend or family member, whatever, who's living below the line, they just, they can't even see you as who you are. It doesn't, there's no room for that in their frame of reference. And you can't go back to meet them. And this is why I think often marriage counseling fails, because this is all about, well, you're co-contributors. I'm sorry, no, I'm in a different energy field. I'm not co-contributing here in the same way that you're thinking I am. Precisely. It's that different vibration. Um, You know, uh, I was actually interviewed this morning, um, and somebody asked, when did I, you know, start doing the radio shows? And I said, basically, when the shift happened when the vibration uh, rose its level up to a different dimension. And I've been saying the same language all my life. That's what I was here for. That's what I've been here for past lives. Um, But I couldn't be heard 
because mm-hmm. other people were on that lower vibration and yes. just unable to hear me. Now people, totally. are more and more people are stepping into their courage. Yeah. More and more people are becoming engaged in their own lives. They've raised that vibration. So now what I have to say is being heard and understood. But before yeah. it would be, I'll be talking Japanese to people, you know, it, it yeah. just wasn't or- connecting. Or at at different times in your in your um, history and in your past lives, probably burned as a witch. Oh, probably, most certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely yes. been there. Oh, I'll just send you yes. a. Po- I have a. I have a poem, Sarah. I'll send you. It's called "For Those of Us Who Were Burned as Witches." Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I love I love that, and I um I think I love this piece. I remember my awakening actually happened. I mean, I think I always was as you and really became very conscious to my purpose when I was about 17 and I did a personal growth training. And at that time, it was just the idea really that we had responsibility for our own lives. And it hit me like a thousand volts. It was like the light opened and really that kind of level of enlightenment for me. And I remember talking to my father who was really actually a great guy. Um, and is a, is a psychologist. Um, and I remember talking with him about this idea of personal responsibility that we were shaping, you know, we're creating our lives. And at this time, which was 1982, what he said to me was he that that for him landed as blame. That's all he could hear it. He couldn't hear it as the way I was saying it. Now, that's just common, like, like that's yeah. in the common understanding that we have... Whether we're creating every part of our reality, people do understand that, you know, if you're getting fired all the time, you probably have something to do with it. This is not a radical idea. But in 1982, bizarrely enough, it was a radical idea to the extent my dad couldn't hear it. No, not many other people could either, actually. I mean, the thing about engagement is it's interaction and participation in your own life. Um, Mm, It's not being reactionary. You know, and start um, participating in your own choices in life and make those better choices based on knowing what you need for yourself. You know, I will say that you can't help anybody else until your cup runneth over. So the importance mm. of you, which is not self-importance, but the importance of you has to be 100%. Because until you are abundant within yourself, what do you have to give anyone else? And this Absolutely. is, and then this is that engagement, I think, because everybody is looking for a meaningful purpose in life. Everybody wants to feel they belong to something, they're contributing to something, that they're of value in their life. And I think this is the the exciting time about engagement is discovering what is your purpose, what has meaning yeah. to you that you can contribute to. And I think there's there's something here when I think about this as an energy field that this is really the gateway to real effectiveness in life. It's not all the way. There's two levels above it. We'll talk about it in a minute. But there's this, like, what do I value? What value do I bring? I still have some of the negative self-talk. I still have lots of stuff going wrong, but I can keep picking myself back up. I can keep looking for the lesson. I'm kind of like in the game. And the brain is really responding differently here. So all of those chemicals of the, you know, the overwhelming chemicals of fear that are going to, you know, fight, flight, freeze, we, those really start diminishing and we're less reactive. We have more, I believe, that when we get to, you know, through courage and into engagement, we've got more connections between our higher brain with the I think specifically about the prefrontal cortex, which is kind of like the executive director of the brain, and our limbic system, which is this older reptilian part of the touching the reptilian brain and really governing this fight, flight, freeze. So what I think is happening here in terms of the, the brain in engagement is that I'll get triggered, you know, somebody will say something, I'll get triggered. However, I can recover. Mm-hmm. I'm not just stuck there. I'm not lost there. Somebody can say, take a different perspective, and I can. And I think it's because if you would look at the physiology of the brain, there's literally more connection there between the older, more reactive brain and the higher, more creative brain. You know, from my point of view, I think the brain can be a great asset or thing that gets in your way. You know, I've always <laughs> told my friend, get the hell out of your head. 
Um, you know, yeah. um, this is my teachings, which is listen to your soul, which is around your belly. That gut instinct, you don't know why you know, but you know. That's the divine intellect. When it resonates with your heart in its truth and understanding, you know, that's the passion and the excitement. And then gives it to your spirit, which is your action, verbal or physical. And then your mind knows what it needs to know mm. at the time it needs to know it. That sense of knowingness. And you don't have to verify, clarify, justify. You're just in that knowingness. And when you're there, you're actually in divine truth. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I, would, I think we're really aligned. And when I, when I look at it, and you know, sometimes I, I, don't, I don't create enough context for this, because when I think of the brain, I really do think of the, the body, the gut, and the heart as part of it. There's neurons there. There's processing there. The brain in our head, I think, is just a really useful tool. CPU. And particularly the left, the left brain. Yeah. The left brain is, you know, is the, all the left brain is ever going to do for you is interpret what the right brain is taking in. And the right brain is the part of us that's more connected to the body, to the getting the information from the heart and from the gut. And it's bringing it in and it's got access to metaphor and, and pictures and visualization and, you know, movement and the senses and all of that. And then the left brain is just always interpreting it. And I think that's where people get stuck in their heads. They go into this lockdown, you know, thinking that it's all about the interpretation uh, rather than the, you know, it's like looking at the menu rather than the meal itself, which is the whole body yes. and all that information that we're taking in. I definitely want you back on a round table with Bill Mackey, um, <laughs> because I think you were, you know, the two of you with conversation is going to be absolutely wonderful. But, you know, the way he looks at it and, and people get stuck on this stigma is sexual central brain. The sexual is the reproductive, everything to do to survive, mm. the mechanics mm. of our body. The central is actually being in tuned with our senses which is our guide mm. and our, it's our, all our emotions. It's all our triggers uh, to our reactions. It is our creativity. It's our possibilities. And if we get tuned into our senses more, our sexual side, which is that, you know, that data of survival, reproduction, uh, fact, all the mechanics of our brain and our body, it's a, it's a balance that's uh, needed there for, for both of, uh, of those sides. And I think we need to kind of step outside of restricting ourselves and try and find that balance. Also understand which side do we actually fire on? Yeah, and I, um, I, I lost my thought there for a second. Let me see if I can find it. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. When we're, we, we were talking about the below-the-line states when we're in hopelessness or fear or frustration. We've got all of these chemicals running through that are actually designed to just put us in pure instinctual reaction because that's safer when we're really in threat. Yes. Well, one of the things that does is forget, forget having any connection to your intuition, yeah. to what your heart or your gut are saying, other than just, you know, you're safe or you're not. Yeah. Um, so I think also as we go more above the line, my view is we expand our capacity to integrate and work with all parts of ourselves. And I know, I mean, for me, the ultimate is, I'm always looking at integration, how the how every part of my being, how I'm using every aspect. Because there's a real value to the left brain when it's used right. And there's a you know, there's a value to each and sort of depending on which camp you're in, yeah. often the one can get dismissed or the other can dis dismiss. So I work with corporations and they think the right brain and you know, the intuition and the gut and all of that, they think that that's something for weekends, maybe. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> or, you know, maybe if you're, you know, holding a baby, you can have that. But forget it. There's no room for it in day-to-day -day life. And sometimes when I'm with my more spiritual friends, they think that the left brain is destroying the world and so they don't want to have anything to do with yeah. that. What I really see is there's a, there's a role, and I love my left brain's capacity to process and analyze and, you know, help me prioritize and figure out if I've got an idea for a curriculum, how do I make it real? I love that. I just try not to let it run the show because it has a way of not seeing relationships as important and not listening to intuition. So, but I, I've got a really, this is my Einstein part, although he, yeah. he was quite balanced, but 
I, I just I love it as a tool, and I and I think often some of us in the spiritual world need to sharpen their tool a little, a little more. Well, you know what I'm seeing a great deal from all the shows that I've done, and I've interviewed so many corporate business people that have left corporations to form their own yeah. entrepreneurialism to bring this balance, and so many of them were were corporate leaders, you know, big speakers or, or CEOs, and it's like um, I could not work the business where, you know, uh, riches at all costs, and that uh, yeah. realize that the enrichment is in the people, not the product, yeah. is in the value yeah. of the people, the investing in the people, and the more that you empower the people, the richer you'll make everybody. And it's, it's yeah. such a delight to see this now with, you know, entrepreneurs becoming philanthropists, investing in women, uh, promoting entrepreneurialism, backing people, and it's such a great mindset. And, you know, we're seeing... 55% of the entrepreneurial business being women today. Yeah, I think that that's part of I think it's part of the shift that we're at, the feminine consciousness shift. Yeah. There's a, a wonderful book that was really, really important to me in my um, neuroscience and consciousness journey, which was really a, for me about, we started out with the seven levels, you know, probably 14 years ago or so, 13 years I think it was, and, you know, been working with it. And it was about five years ago that we started bringing in neuroscience because I wanted to be able to speak to people who wouldn't naturally come here. Um, and I've been seeing, so I started to say one of the books that I really spent a lot of time with on this journey is a wonderful one called The Master and His Emissary. And it's about how what's killing us today is the left brain dominance mm -hmm. of the world. And that the view of this man, the author is Ian McGilchrist, and his view is that um, the right brain is, a, is the equivalent of a benevolent leader. And the left brain is like is, should be a servant. And what's happened is that the servant has put the master in chains. And that's really true in our society. Yeah. And that the great shift that we're, we're needing right now is to, yes, honor both right and left, but also to put the right back in charge. Because the left has a weird quality. The left brain, it only sees itself. It's limited in its capacity. It only sees that what it does is important. The right brain sees everything. And you need a leader that holds, that sees both, is my view. Exactly. And you know, this, this is where the word, you know, number six, innovation. Because, yes. you know, innovation is creativity. It's invitation. It's uh, limitless. Um, it's taking those wonderful innovative ideas into productivity. And, you know, if you, if you compartmentalize and restrict and linearize everything, you're killing that innovation, which is about expansion and no boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. I love the way you say that. And, you know, and I want to make a distinction because people often get a little confused and not saying you are, this is more for the audience because I think you've nailed it. Um, but innovation for us does not mean Google. It does, it's, an, it's an energetic, vibrational space. It does not mean you created interesting technology. Oh, this yeah. is an innovative company. No, no, no. In our model, innovation is, is really defined as the ability to set aside ego, personal agendas and perceived restrictions, and explore possibilities from all angles. Questing for, seeking, and focusing on the most effective solution to the problem or goal. So I don't know of any companies who really are in the vibrational field of innovation, and I don't know many people. There are some, because this is a person who can, when you speak with them, not give up their ego, but in the conversation, set it aside. Like they know who they are, and they're permeable to other ideas. They're open. And if, if we're in a group, and if there's four or five of us, and we really are in innovation, we're really like bringing our full selves, but able to set aside our own ideas and personal agenda, we can create amazing results. And what will happen is we'll come up with something, and nobody will remember who said it or did it, because that's not important. I call it collaboration. And you know, I think at the highest level, at the highest yeah, level, absolutely. You know, I think what we're coming out of now is this competitiveness one-upmanship yes. and we're going into collaboration to unite and it, you know, I'm seeing this so much now and especially with this new way of doing business people are realizing you know joint venturing 
<coughs> sharing ideas, helping each other expand. Um, as you said, coming to the table with all the different innovations for the greater good. It's a different yeah. mindset altogether, and it's really a delight to see. It really is, and it you know it it requires some change. And I you know you know I think about companies that you know they say they want innovation, they say they want this, and they still have structures that reward and are always pushing forward the individual contributor. And I'm not opposed to individual contributors, but I think there's something in the we have to shift the hierarchical view. Innovation is a non-hierarchical state. Hierarchy is not interesting here. Yeah. An innovative leader is just as much interested in what the janitor has to say as their VP. Amen. Amen. So. Amen. Absolutely. Same philosophy there. Everybody has something to contribute. Um, you know, you've, you've got people that might start the conversation, be the leader in setting the tone. But if you don't be invitational to everybody's voice, then it becomes dictatorial. And we're Absolutely. looking at invitation today because the more we invite and then respect... Uh, yes. The opinion. Now we're actually looking at those possibilities, creating opportunities to productivity. Yeah, absolutely. <coughs> well, we should probably talk about the last state before we run out of time here. <laughs> synchronicity. So the point. Synchronicity. Yeah, working from a true understanding that what is within creates what is outside. Focus on creating a positive experience for all the ability to see the gift and possibility in anything, and the realm of magical coincidence. So this is our final, this is the seventh level of, of effectiveness. This is a place where um, in synchronicity, and, and I think this is not a place that I really know anybody who lives here 100% of the time. I think maybe I haven't really talked to the Dalai Lama personally, but he might. <laughs> He'd be you know, like, any, maybe there's, there's that. Um, there's an ability to recover from triggers instantaneously, very just incredibly quickly. There's just this ability to live in a way that it feels like you're just actively shaping what is occurring. Um, and it's an amazing state. And for most people, it's a state that you you can't, like, do it. Much had people sort of kind of think that synchronicity was all about just being super nice <laughs> and kind of and or being really spiritual and sort of humming and oming and and that's not it you can't do it you can't kind of do your way there it's much more of a like everything is kind of burned away and those moments where we touch grace is how i hold this state i also look upon it as again the word invitational um, you know, when you put out your desire and your needs to the universe and you're mm. open and ready to receive, that's where that mm. divine coincidence comes. And all of yes. a sudden you get to speaking with somebody. And the next thing you know for that conversation, that need is met. Not in the way yeah. you thought, not in the way you ordered. You have to take any of that dictatorial away from it and be just, this is how I need you know what I need or this is the way I yeah. need to feel and you will find that synchronicity coming about where suddenly you're talking with someone or an event happens that all of a sudden there is that collaboration and yeah that, that's, that's great I, I think what you're yeah what you're speaking to is it's a place it's a really it's a it's a deeply paradoxical place and and this is why we have to really move out of this left brain dominance because the left brain cannot stand paradox Right. It wants to nail everything down, and this is a place where, on the one hand, I think about my business partner and I were going to China, and we walk up to the gate, and we were in Seattle, and we were heading up to a long flight, and we walk up to the gate, and they just handed us two first-class upgrades, and I looked at her, and she said, oh, yeah, I intended it. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, well done, you. Yeah. <laughs> but, and we were talking about it, so, so how did you, what did you do? And she said, I just knew, and I and she said I was. I just and she and what I could see is she was absolutely clear and intentional, and absolutely completely unattached to whether it happened or not. And that's the paradox. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent committed, and I'm a hundred percent non-attached. And to find that balance of being able, to, mostly we. You know, mostly we go to this, well, I'm really committed to it, but we get attached and that'll just kill it every time. Forget the agenda, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, and as you said, attached to, attached to how it happens. And I think the universe has a really, really good sense of humor. Um, just a quick story. I, I was really, years ago, I was super committed to being a philosophy professor at Big Surprise, right? Getting that piece of paper and getting my degree. And I got turned down for graduate school, and it was one of the biggest heartbreaks of my life that I didn't follow that dream. And, and a number of years later, I kind of looked back and I went, oh, well, I am one. Well, yeah. It's way better. <laughs> exactly. It's way I I would make way more money than if I had done that. I have way more intellectual freedom. I'm on the cutting edge of what I do. I'm completely on fire. I have no committees or, you know, deans to worry about. Oh my god, the universe had something better in mind for me. And you know what? You honored and respected the universe by simply being true to your path and not dictating the destination. Yeah. Right? And people get yep. in their own way. Well, I have to be here by then. Goals. I've got to set the goals. I've got to be there. No. Have a vision of where you want to be. You know, um, you're a diva. And the reason why you're a diva, which is an acronym, it stands for somebody has the ability to dream, be inspired by that dream, see the vision of that dream, and aspire to make it happen. And when you live I love that. What a great acronym. I've never heard that before. I love it. And when you become a diva and you truly honor that divaism, you will always honor your dream. You will always be inspired by it. You're sharing the, with the universe that vision, which means that that aspiration of becoming it will be. If you take away the dictation of how and allow mm. it just to be and understand those opportunities and those possibilities that come to you in such bizarre ways and just be open and ready to receive, then you'll honor your divaism. You know, and I think I, I really love that. And there's, all, you know, there's something in there for me about, there's a wonderful quote in one of Kurt Vonnegut's books. He makes up this religion, and the religion actually has great quotes in it. And, and one of the quotes from this made-up religion is, strange travel suggestions are dancing lessons from God. And, you know, for me, that's become one of the biggest commitments of my life is to follow God's dancing lessons. Because something interesting, and so that was neuroscience for me. I never set out to do it. I didn't think I had the capacity to do it, but it was so compelling that I knew I had to follow that dancing lesson. Exactly. You know, when I first started off with the radio stations, my first show was catastrophic. Everything went wrong that could go wrong. <laughs> and uh, yeah, did I know how to do it? No, I just got up and did it. I trusted mm. this was a journey that had been presented. Take the path, yes. see where it takes you. I've got my own station. Yes. We've got over 1,200 shows of inspirational oh people changing the world. And, you know, that's the thing is just follow the path. And sometimes there's going to be rocks in the way and trees in the way and avalanches in the way. But just find a different way around it and people in the way. Just keep <laughs> exactly. on doing it because the more you do it, the more you actually understand what it means not only to you, but to the universe. And this mm. is the reason why you're on this path. Don't give up because it gets bumpy. Yeah, I love that. Great, great advice. Great wisdom. Wow. Well, I certainly, as I said, having you back on a roundtable with Bill Mackey, because I think it will be extremely interesting talking about, you know, the, the thought process, the mind and everything else. And I think that would be a, a really very interesting show. So we'll have you back on that. But in the meantime, great. I want you to tell everybody how they can get hold of you. Uh, I've got your, your coaching brain WordPress, uh, your, your belovedleadership.com, but, but also you have the radio blog. Just let everybody know how they can find you, get hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is um, beaboveleadership.com, and that's got information about our neuroscience programs. We're just launching a new program for anybody who's interested in uh, being in the, in the human consciousness architecture field. It's basically what we think is next in terms of human development. And if you want to come and check that out, we're going to be in Sedona this winter. I have a blog at yourcoachingbrain.wordpress.com. And I've got a, a book out on Amazon called Integration, which talks a lot about my views of how the brain goes to better levels, higher levels of effectiveness. So lots of cool neuroscience and stories in there. And my goal is to always make, is to, is to be the geek that makes <laughs> uh, all that science really interesting for other people because it's kind of boring usually to read it when it's in its purest form. Right, exactly. Exactly. And you've got your, your blog talk radio, uh, Be Above Leadership. Yes, and we do 
we do blog talk radio at theaboveleadership.com where we talk about we just talk about everything neuroscience and consciousness and coaching and tons of stuff like that so that's that's pretty fun and it's just been so fun talking with you Sarah I just feel like we're a couple of buddies sitting down over a cup of tea and I just would love to continue in any way we would definitely do that and you know uh, an ending note here is that um, numerous scientists I've interviewed and they've finally woken up to spirituality is the people that live in the science where scientists are the people that learn to understand it. Uh, we've mm-hmm. integrated ourselves into it. We are it. We live in that vibration. But scientists are truly understanding that that spiritual energy is measurable quantum physics. And finally, the, the two worlds are meeting. So um, we just keep blending them together and uh, w- it will reach more people. So keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> So, folks, it's all up to us, remember. You know, these are wonderful seven um, uh, effective steps here, uh, even in just kind of understanding where you're at. You know, the we don't have to get stuck on one level. We can keep progressing. It is up to us. We do have to take ownership of our own lives. It's not for someone to come in on a white horse and rescue you. You can be your own rescuer, but at the same time, you don't need to do it alone. Allow other people to help you through the process. They will guide you. So contact Anne. She's definitely with somebody that can take you on this journey to your own self-discovery and you'll find out your own beautiful abundance. Until next time, folks.